and just want to focus on uh, one verse. So if you have your Bible, Isaiah chapter 26.3. I love the Word of God. Uh, I hope that shows every week that I love the Word of God. But I love how much depth the Word of God has. And sometimes the best study that we can do is just to sit with one or two verses and really take them apart and really ask the Spirit to help us. Um, I think sometimes we get in the, in the mode that, well, if I'm going to do my devotions today in 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour that I need to read a lot, sometimes you just want to camp in one verse and, and just let the Lord speak to you. And that's what we're going to do uh, this morning. That, that especially applies... Uh, if you know the church, uh, the verse well, sometimes when we know a verse really well, we just kind of say, well, I've studied this and I know this and, and I'll go to the next verse. But uh, I think when we know a verse really well, we need to work extra hard to really sit and study it because there's fre- fresh revelation there. There's fresh things that the Spirit wants to teach us and apply to us. So we have to kind of concentrate so we don't glide past the greatness of the message, and so we don't miss something that the Spirit wants to tell us just because it's familiar. I believe this is one of those verses, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. And on face value, um, it's a very comforting verse to quote. It's something that we can find strength in. Uh, but when we really kind of think about it, we really assess the words, which we're going to do this morning, we may be at a place um, where we hope this is true more than we actually believe it's true. Where, where it seems wonderful, and we want to believe that it's true, but, but when we really dissect it and really take apart the words, we're kind of, yeah, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty outlandish. It's pretty strong. It's pretty extreme what's being said here. And yet, this is an awesome promise of God. Hear that again. This is an awesome promise of God to his children, and it is one that is increasingly needed in our lives, and the Lord is calling us this morning to be absolutely confident that Isaiah 26, 3 is true. So we're going to take it apart word by word, okay, because every word here is so important. We're going to see the way it's written. We're going to look at the certainty of the words that the Spirit is giving to Isaiah. And that's going to hopefully and prayerfully do two things. It's going to challenge us to trust the Lord with a unique boldness, with a lack of hesitation, with a fearlessness that we would trust God that way. And as we do that, it will give us an undeniable and secure assurance of this amazing promise. This verse is true. This verse is applicable to believers. This verse is a promise that God has given us. And if we trust it, God will do it. Because God can't break his promises, right? God can't throw out a promise and say, well, just kind of kidding about that. I don't really mean that. It's, it's a metaphor. This is not a metaphor this morning. Take the Bible literally unless it says, don't take us literally. So this is a literal verse. This will be fulfilled in our lives when we trust God. Now, just for context, and I'll try to do this quickly, this verse comes in the middle of a long word of prophecy that Isaiah is giving to God's people. And what he's saying here about the future really has to be taken in the context of the present. So he's giving a word to the people of God, in this case the Jews, specifically the nation of Judah. And he's giving them God's word, and he is saying 
What's going to happen in the future, you need to understand in the present. Because when you understand the future work of God and the future promises of God, you'll live differently in the present. Now, the time frame for this is from King Uzziah, who is in 2 Chronicles 26, to King Manasseh. And this time period is about 50 years that Isaiah was prophesying and speaking to the people. Uzziah, who's in 2 Chronicles 26, I said, really is a metaphor. We've studied him before. How many remember studying King Uzziah? Two of you, good. We'll have to preach that message again next week. See if I could refresh your memory. King Uzziah became king at eight. He was favored by the Lord. The Bible says as long as he sought the Lord, God blessed him. He was very talented, very capable, very good leader, very good military man. People respected him and feared him. But as he got older, he started to take the blessing of God for granted. And he stopped seeking the Lord the way he did when he was eight. And eventually he became very self-sufficient, very proud, very arrogant, very much, I can do it myself, I'm successful, look at me, I don't need God. And eventually he became so brash that he walked into the temple and started to burn incense, which was, to say the least, a big no-no. Priests confronted him, 81 priests confront him and say, you need to get out of here really quick. He defies them, God strikes him with leprosy, and he spends the rest of his days in exile. You remember that message now? King Uzziah was a metaphor for the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. Blessed by God, favored by God, given everything they were needed. As long as they sought him, God blessed them. God was their God. As long as they depended on him, God never wavered for one second in being faithful. And yet the moment they got self-sufficient, their pride ran rampant, just like Uzziah. And eventually they became defiant and resisted God and, and defied God and just, and just said, we don't need you. We, we, we don't, you don't have any place in our lives. Now that's when Isaiah came along. From the time of King Uzziah, chapter 6, the great passage, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, all the way up through four other kings to King Manasseh. And Jer- uh, excuse me, Isaiah primarily ministered in the nation of Judah, which was the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, where Jerusalem was. Now, the Middle East has always been volatile. And during this time frame, which is about 700 B.C., it was the same as it is today, pretty much with the same players. And it's really important. I was struck as I studied this. It's really important to see the parallels between 700 B.C., which was how many years ago? What year is it? 2000, what what are we, 2014? I've lost track, honestly. So 2,700 years ago, 2,700 years ago to now, it's almost the exact same picture. Now, here's the, here are the players. The, The nation that was really strong then was Assyria. Assyria, if you look at a map, is right where Iraq is now. And Assyria was expanding its empire north into what is, was then and is now Syria. And as they moved north, out of modern-day Iraq, into Syria, then they started to set their sights south to Israel. The exact same thing is happening right now in our newspaper. ISIS, which has now captured control of Syria, most of it, and has now moved into northern Iraq, 
Same thing as the nation of Assyria did in Isaiah chapter 26. Now they're setting their sights on Israel and want to annihilate Israel. So what we're seeing now with this Islamic state is pretty much a, a, a beautiful, not a beautiful, but it's an exact picture of ancient Assyria. Now as this happening, Judah, the southern two, nations, two tribes, looks at it and says, we got a problem here. And Israel and Syria come to Judah. This is your history lesson for the day. You won't be tested, but I'll think about it. Israel to the north and Syria farther north go to Judah and say, we need your help. Because Assyria is starting to come for us. And Judah weighs the options and says, we're not going to help you. So Israel and Syria turn on Judah and they attack Judah. So Judah sits there and says, what do we do now? They go to Assyria, and they say, Israel and Syria are attacking us. We need your help. Now, in the middle of all this confusion and mess, Isaiah goes to King Ahaz, and he says, time out. You need to seek the Lord. You're allying with your worst enemy, and instead of doing that, instead of fighting against Israel and Syria, you need to seek the Lord, and you need to trust only in Him. How many think Isaiah gave a good word to Ahaz? Seek the Lord, trust only in the Lord, and if you do that, we just sang it, four songs. God will be faithful. He will defend you. He will protect you. He will help you. But if you don't, and you get in alliance with Assyria, you got all kinds of problems. Now Ahaz thinks about this, and he says, mm, I don't think that's good advice. So he Skypes the king of Assyria, and he says, listen, I need some help. At which point Assyria comes down through Syria and attacks Israel and takes the capital city, which was Samaria. And all of a sudden Ahaz says, I made a tactical mistake. I shouldn't have trusted my enemy. And eventually Assyria sets its sight on Judah. Now, what would be your response if you're Ahaz? Ahaz does not call a national prayer meeting. He doesn't say, look, we got a problem. Assyria, I made a mistake. I'm a lousy politician. I'm a lousy king. I made a mistake. Assyria is coming for us. We need to seek the Lord because that's what the prophet told us. Seek the Lord, trust in him, and we'll be fine. Instead, he calls Egypt. And here comes Isaiah again into the palace, and he stands before Ahaz, and he says, uh-uh, this is a bad plan. You need to have a prayer meeting. Ask the Lord for help. Don't make alliances with evil people. Just trust the Lord. And Ahaz doesn't do it. So then a new king comes along, and the king's name is Hezekiah. All this is important. We're going to get to the bottom line in a second. Hezekiah listens to Isaiah and says, you're right. We need to go in a different direction. And he looks to the Lord and he calls the nation to trust the Lord. And guess what God does? He defeats the Assyrians. Now Hezekiah says, that's wonderful. But then he gets cocky. And the Babylonians, who were the arch enemies of the Assyrians, come to town for a little visit. 
yeah, we're just going to check up on Hezekiah. How you doing? Man, we just want to see how you're doing. You guys did a great job with the Assyrians. You got them out of the way. So that was wonderful. And Hezekiah is so full of himself at that point, he forgets to seek the Lord. And he says, you know what, guys, come into the palace. I want you to see all the spoils of war that, that we won after this big battle with the Assyrians. And he kind of struts around, look at us, man. We took off the Assyrians. He doesn't say, God helped us. And we sought the Lord. And, and it, it was amazing. And you Babylonians, listen, you, if you come to fight us, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to seek the Lord. We're going to defeat you. He just prances around, says, look at all my stuff. And Isaiah shows up again. And he says, Judah's going to be taken into slavery in Babylon. God's going to discipline you for not trusting him. And from chapter 40 of Isaiah on, Isaiah speaks to the exiles in Babylon. And he says, you know what? You sinned against the Lord. But God's eventually going to forgive you. And he's going to bring you back to the land. And he did that in 1948. But Israel still hasn't learned. And now they're in the exact same situation. Now, they need to read Isaiah. We need to read Isaiah because this is pertinent to the times we live in. The predominant message of this book is trust the Lord. Say that with me. Trust the Lord. It's very simple. If you want a theme for Isaiah, it's trust the Lord. And this is what Israel and Judah did not do. But we know, don't we, that when we put our faith in God, that, that he will forgive our sin, he will deliver us from our enemies. In fact, eight times in Isaiah, God's people are told, wait on the Lord. Which references and refers to that theme of trust and dependence on God's help. So in the middle of all this turmoil and all this uncertainty, I know that's a lot of historical background, but we need that to get to this verse. In the middle of all this turmoil and uncertainty, again, very similar to where we are today as believers... This is, this is almost an exact picture of what's going on in our world this morning. In the middle of all that, the Lord gives us this powerful message in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Just one verse this morning, and then we'll take a couple minutes to take it apart. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Let me read a couple other translations. King James says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The New Living says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. And the literal translation is, you will keep in perfect peace the mind stayed on you for he trusts in you. Now, every word of this is important. And as I read those four different translations, you saw, I'm sure, a lot of similarities but we want to be very precise, as we always do when we study the Bible, be very precise on understanding what these words mean. Because this is an amazing call to us, and it's an amazing promise from the Lord that we can live by. So I want to use, even though you don't have it in your hands, I want to use the New Living Verse because it really uses the best descriptive words from the Greek. So let me read it again. You will keep him, in, excuse me, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Okay? Now, let's take it apart. Take some notes this morning or do something. I want you to, want you to learn uh, really how to take apart Scripture because it's so simple 
It's much more simple than we think if we just take the words apart, okay? So let's look at the very first word in the verse. Because this is a definitive promise from God. We need to see the security of this promise. It's sourced in the unshakable character and word of the one who has created us and saved us and redeemed us and sealed us. So what's the first word of the verse? In, I'm sorry, you, <laughs> I threw you off. First word of the verse is the word you. You. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. It begins with you. In other words, speaking of the Lord, the one who holds all things together, the one who owns everything, the one who answers to no one. This is an awesome reminder during the times we live in that you are the one that will do it. Now, the next two words are, you will keep. I love words. I hated English when I was in high school, right? But now that I'm older, I'd love to, I think I'd love to go back to high school. Probably not, because it was kind of peer pressure and all the stress and all that. So, let's just live as a 50-year-old who knows now what English is about. You will. The word will there is absolute. It's not uncertain. It's not up for debate. God will. God will what? Look at the next word. God will keep. Now, I love this word. I love this word because there's great depth to its meaning. Listen to how the Greek word is, is, um, is defined. To watch, preserve, and guard from danger with fidelity. To watch, preserve, and guard from danger with fidelity. In other words, not only does the Lord definitively guarantee that he'll protect us, but he makes that guarantee based on his perfect reputation and his unswerving holy character. So there's meat to this promise. This is not just, well, you kind of have my word. Based on the holiness of God, based on the character of God, based on the faithfulness of God, based on the fact that God never once has failed. God never once has sinned. God never once has, has defied or, or, or disobeyed his character. Based on his reputation, based on his word, God says, I will keep this. Now you can, as they say, take that to the bank. There's no question here. There's no doubt here. There's no room for latitude here. This is exactly what God says. He will not go up and down with his promise. He will not go back and forth like the waves of the sea. And James 1 says to us, if we want wisdom and we want to trust God, we have to be the same way. We can't waver. The Bible says don't uh, be unwavering. In other words, be the opposite of the waves. If you go down to the beach, and I hope you will because it's gorgeous, you watch the waves crash and go out and crash and go out, and they go up and down. And uh, when we were down at the beach on vacation, we'd, we'd sit there because the waves were really, really small in Georgia. I mean, worse than Lake Michigan. And we're out there with rafts like, let's ride some waves. This is great. And they're like this high. But we would watch, and you'd sit there, and you go, there comes a big one, there's another one. But the waves are constantly undulating back and forth. God says, no, your faith can't be like that. Faith has to be steady because it's based on God's unwavering reputation. So reread the text. The Lord will 
by his word, by the bond of his character, provide faithful protection and security. That's a good start, right? God will, by his character, by his reputation, be faithful to protect and secure us. Now, you say, all right, well, what now? To do what? Always when you study scripture, ask questions of the text. So there are three questions here. In what condition, to whom, and based on what terms? If God says, I will do this, based on my character, I will faithfully guard and protect, then we have to say, in what condition, to whom, and on what terms? And the text answers all three. Let's go them. question number one. I will give you certain and faithful protection and security in what condition? Now, does the Lord just say here that he'll provide and we should do our best and, and find some strength in this? I'll kind of do my part. You kind of do your part. and We'll, we'll kind of see how it plays out. Just, just adapt. Just, just hope for the best. Aren't you glad God doesn't say to us this morning, just hope for the best. Just, just, just try. You'll, you'll, hopefully you'll get some joy here somewhere. Hopefully it'll work out for you. Just, just, just. Try to muster some confidence. Is that how the Lord treats us? He's faithful and he's true. And look at the words of the promise because they are so powerful. The Lord will keep you, tell me the next three words, in perfect peace. Now in researching those words, I, I was really surprised to find that those two words, perfect peace, are one word in the text. And the word is the word shalom. Shalom. You will keep him in shalom. Now, you may know, if you've ever been around a Jewish person, that that's often how they greet each other. And when you hear it, sometimes it kind of feels like a throwaway, like we do. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Yeah, what's up? The word shalom has a much deeper meaning. It essentially means peace to you. And when you go to chapter 26, verse 3 of Isaiah, it goes far farther than just wishing somebody peace and contentment that their, their lives will be okay. When the Lord is involved, peace is not insecure and it's not incomplete because when the Lord is involved, peace that he provides is perfect. Hear that word. You will keep him in shalom. You will keep him in perfect Peace. How many would like that kind of peace in their lives this morning? How many would say, well, when I wake up tomorrow morning, I'd love to have peace. Some mornings when we wake up, we're kind of churning like, oh, snap. I got to deal with some stuff today. This is going to be yucky. I got to have a hard conversation. I got that project at work that's going to kill me. I got housework to end all. I got to drive the kids here, there, 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 there. And I hope I get them to all those places by five. We'll grab dinner on the run. Anybody else living like that? I am. And we wake up and we're churning and we don't have that shalom. We don't have that perfect peace. We don't even have any peace. We're just kind of, 
And maybe you're, you're in a relationship this morning that's got that tension and it's, it's fractured and it's, and it's just not going well. Or maybe you're stressed over finances or your job or, or you're worried because you've got a serious health problem. Or you're just disturbed by all that's going on in the world. And the seeming inability of anybody to have an answer to stop it. And you watch the news and you can only watch it for 15 minutes because it just depresses you. And, and you just go to bed and your mind's racing and you're trying to pray. And there's just not peace. Let alone perfect peace. But look at the secure promise from your Savior and your Lord. Not only will he give us peace, look back at the verb, he will keep us in peace. Listen, if, if he can forgive us of our sin, if he can eliminate the existence of sin and the penalty of sin, if he can exonerate us forever, if he can restore us to relationship with him, if he can give us his spirit, if he can claim us as his own, if he can say, you will live with me forever, and you'll stand around the throne and sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul. If, if God can do that, don't you think he can give us perfect peace every day? I mean, really, we've got to believe this verse. Can't you say, oh, that's a nice verse, Pastor, and it's really good, and boy, that's, that's encouraging, but you don't know my life. No, I don't, and you don't know my life. And you know what? God's not looking at it going, oh, no, yeah, roads, that's a problem. Those other people, they'll make it through, but wow, boy, I don't know what to do with that. You will keep in shalom. Why do we trust the Lord to save us, secure us, and give us his spirit, but we don't trust him for every day? As I've watched the news this week, I have craved, I use that word carefully, I have craved this kind of peace. Even just for my own heart and my own mind, and I'm not a really fearful person, but I've just been, oh, and the Spirit kept coming back to me and saying, Paul, this is true. Do you believe it or not? You can look at all the details, you can all the circumstances, but I'm telling you, I'm the Spirit of God, this is true. Now, whether we believe that or not is dependent on where we stand with the other two questions in the text. So let's run through these real quick. He says, I'll give you certain and faithful protection and security. I'll keep you there in perfect peace. So the question is, who does he give this to and what are the terms? Number one, who does he give it to? You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. Now, like all the other words in this text, this word is very definitive. It means bold confidence with an unquestioned sense of safety and security. So here's the first qualification. If God's going to keep us in perfect peace, the first condition is that we have to trust the Lord. Not with fear, not with uncertainty, not with doubt, not with a lack of confidence, not with conditions. That is not real faith. Instead, our faith is supposed to be grounded in the presence and the power of the Lord in our lives. We look at it, we say, Jesus has restored us to a relationship with God. He secured our position with the Lord forever. The Spirit seals us and guards us and protects us and, and helps us. 
we're told to come boldly to the throne at any time, not just when we're in crisis, but sometimes just to come for fellowship. It is an astounding privilege God has given us. You will keep him in perfect peace who trusts in you. It's thinking last night, think of how different the disciples were five minutes before Jesus showed up in the upper, to, upper room after the resurrection. Think how different their perspective was. Five minutes before he shows up. Five minutes before they see him for the first time as the resurrected Savior. Five minutes before they're scared and intimidated and uncertain and they're hiding and they don't know what to believe and they're arguing about whether the women are telling the truth or whether they're just crazy in their heads. There's turmoil, there's stress, there's emotional uncertainty. They're seriously considering, should we just go back to Galilee and start again? Five minutes before he shows up. And then Jesus enters into the room. And you know what his first words are? Peace be to you. Five minutes before, there is so little peace, it's not even funny. But once they get in the presence of the Lord, and they know that now his victory is real, and his power can be theirs, everything changes. And they never go back to emotional and spiritual turmoil again. They don't even have to wait for the Spirit to come in Acts 2. It happens right then. That's the power of the Lord's presence. He's worthy of our trust. So here's the thing. If we're still abiding in self-sufficiency instead of abiding in Christ, if we're walking by our desires and our control instead of walking by the Spirit, there is no guarantee that will be kept in perfect peace. In fact, I will guarantee you that you will not have any peace. If we insist, like Uzziah, like the Jews, like so many, that I've got it, I'm okay, I'll figure it out, I'll be self-sufficient, I want what I want, I'm going to do my own thing. If God wants to come along with that, so be it. But you know what? I'm not waiting for Him. If that's where we are, I promise you this morning that you will have no peace. But if we put our trust in him, God says, I will keep you in perfect peace. And maybe you're saying, well, Paul, I trust the Lord. I'm here, aren't I? I mean, it's kind of warm and it's a holiday and I'm here. I may not trust him as completely as that, but I believe in Jesus, and I go, God will provide, but, but I'm still not feeling peace or strength. How do, I, how do I get it? How do I experience that? Well, we've got to go to the last phrase, because it doesn't say, that will keep him in perfect peace, who's, who's, who trusts in you, stop. No, there's another line there. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Now that leads us into question three. God says, I'll give you certain and faithful protection and security based on what terms. The last phrase is vitally important and it's not optional. You will keep him in perfect peace, all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Now the word there isn't just what we think. It refers to the condition and focus of our whole mind. And that's where the battle takes place. The battle takes place in our mind. 
our heart gets involved, our emotions get involved, we get stirred up and passionate and emotional and uptight and all that kind of stuff. But, but that changes with the weather. My emotions, my feelings, that, that changes moment to moment, day to day. But the mind is the front line. Listen now, it is amazing how much our minds are at play in spiritual warfare. The enemy loves to attack our mind. He loves to fill us with fear and anxiety and questions about what's unknown. And then throw in an extra dose of a little bit of spiritual temptation for extra effect. Take a minute. I'm going to give you 20 seconds. Take a minute and think about the things that you worried about this week. Go ahead. Start. Now, all the things that you and I worried about this week, let's be honest here. What percentage of those concerns and those fears were based on something that is actually tangibly happening right now? And what percentage of those fears, not, your, not ones you're personally experiencing, what percentage of those fears were based on something that might happen or could happen but hasn't yet? When I think about the things that I worried about this week, the things that I was fearful about, the things that robbed me of peace, very few, a very small percentage are actually taking place in my daily life. And a grand percentage is something that could happen, something that might happen, something that's possibly going to take place down the road that, that potentially could happen, but I'm not experiencing it yet. Here's where the devil loves to work. The devil loves to work in the realm of what's possible. The Lord wants to keep us in the reality of his presence, his provision, his protection, his power, and his promises. That's five to one, and our guy's already won. Oh, the devil says, this might happen. You better worry. There's potential here for, for something big. And I don't know. You, you should probably not pray about that, though. You should probably talk to a bunch of people and, and be stressed. And, and boy, I don't know. You better, you better find some solutions, Paul. I don't know. It's just, it's not going well. And God says, you have my presence. You have my provision, which is secure, you have my protection. I've already beaten the devil. Don't stress about him. I've already beaten him. You have my power by my Holy Spirit. And just for added measure, I gave you thousands of promises. Now, are you going to listen to that liar? or are you going to listen to me? You going to live in fear about what could happen? I've got all things in my hands. Kings don't do anything without me. And I, just like Uzziah, I can take him down like that. So are you going to be stressed? Are you going to be worried? Or are you going to trust me? Look at the instruction. Keep your mind fixed on the Lord. The other words are steadfast or stayed. And again, here's the word, you. You will keep him in perfect peace who trusts in you and whose mind is fixed on you. In other words, it's bookended. You and you talking about the Lord on both sides. And then we add an extra one right in the middle just in case we forgot. 
God, you'll do it. You'll keep us in perfect peace when we trust in you and our minds are fixed on you. Lack of peace comes from too much preoccupation with me. But the Lord says, trust me. Set your mind on things that are above. Cast all your care on who? Me. All the potential worries from last week. How many, I'm not saying this to be mean, this is to me, okay? How many of those potential worries did we actually spend 15 minutes praying about? How many of the things that we feared this week did we actually go to the presence of God and say, God, no distractions right now. I am fearful. I am worried. I am anxious. And I need your help. I need your encouragement. I love to come into your presence. Oh, Lord, I delight in your presence. Oh, I can't believe the gift that you've given me to pray and call on your name and that you hear me. Lord, I am concerned. How many of those things did we spend 15 minutes praying about? Oh, we toss out a couple of prayers. Lord, I'm really worried about this. Can you help me? That would be great. No, on to the next thing. What's on my phone? Got to run to the next appointment, Lord. I'll catch up with you later. Like, like he's some kind of person in the office that we walk by. When our hearts are fixed, I'm almost done. Look at it. When our hearts are fixed, that changes quickly. The word there is interesting. It means to lean on, be supported, sustained, and upheld. But there's a secondary meaning that I absolutely love. Okay, so the first meaning is to lean on, kind of depend on, kind of, kind of, okay, I need some help. I need some support here. I'm not doing very well. So, Lord, I'm fixing my heart on you so, so I can just kind of oh, have some comfort, some rest. But God doesn't just say, hey, just... Just lean on me. Just lay down. Take a, little, take a little break. I got it. He goes so far beyond that because the secondary meaning of the word, this is why I love words so much. The secondary meaning beyond leaning and being supported is to be refreshed and revived. In other words, God doesn't want us to fix our minds and just collapse on him and say, ah, in doing that, in fixing our minds on him, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to revitalize you spiritually. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to strengthen you. Your emotions are going to be stronger. Physically, you're going to be uplifted. I'm going to do this by my spirit. So when you trust in me and you put your confidence in me and you call on my name and rest on me, I'm not just going to hold you in a hammock. I'm going to lift you up and you're going to be ready to go again. And as you do it, you're going to have perfect peace. Give you a final example of this and we'll pray. You remember when the disciples were in the boat in Matthew chapter 14? Jesus isn't with them and a storm comes up on Galilee and they're just going crazy. And they're paddling and, and, and oaring against the wind and, and they're not going anywhere. The Sea of Galilee is very small. It's not like Lake Michigan. You can see the whole thing as you stand there. So they're in the middle of the tempest, and they're going, and all of a sudden they look out, and guess who's walking on the water? It's Jesus, and he's just strolling along. It says in the text that he was about to pass by them. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to preach that someday. He's about to pass by them, 
And they go, hey, Jesus, wait, 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 we are so glad that you are here. Woo-hoo, we have been in some trouble. And Peter, who's a fascinating person, says, I want to come out there too. Most people would say, um, could you come take an oar where we got to get to shore? Peter's like, hey, all right. Hey, you're walking on the water. I'm coming out there. Can I come out there? Can I? Can, forget these guys. I want to I walk on the water too. Jesus says, come on. Peter leans over the boat. Can you imagine as he puts his feet on the water and the water holds him up? And he starts walking, and the disciples are going. And Jesus is just standing there, bobbing up and down on the waves. Storm hasn't stopped yet. And Peter's walking on the water, and everything's going great. And then it says in verse 30, look at this text later, okay? Study this a day this week, Matthew 14, 30. In verse 30, the text says, oh, these words are so wonderful. Seeing the wind... Peter began to get frightened, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, here's the thing. The wind had been there all the time, and Peter was not only fine, he was defying gravity and physics. And as long as he looked at Jesus, he was fine But all of a sudden, this is how the mind works. All of a sudden, he said, wait a minute, I can't do this. Oh, no, it's really windy. And there are waves. What am I doing out here? This is playing out in his mind. And the devil's going, are you kidding me? You really think you can walk on water? Who do you think you are? Peter starts to look at the wind, and as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the wind, he sunk. It's not very peaceful, is it? You will keep him in perfect peace, all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Look at verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. We sang that earlier. There is no rock. There is no God like our God. And then look at verse 7. The way of the righteous is what? Tell me. Smooth. O upright one, make the path of the righteous level. How much do you and I need to believe that promise and pray that prayer? Uh, I need to pray Isaiah 26, 7 this week. Oh, upright one, make the way of the righteous level. But are we righteous? You see, in 17 words in verse 3, those 17 words can literally change the way we live this week. Our mindset, our confidence, the way we look at everything is defined and determined by this verse. So will you live in perfect peace this week? If you trust him completely, and I trust him completely, and we fix our minds on him alone, that is what he promises. You will keep in perfect peace those who trust in you and whose minds are fixed 
on you. That's our promise. Let's close our eyes. I want to take just a minute. You've been so patient and listened so well, but let me just take a minute. Is this where you are this morning? You and the Lord. I can't read your thoughts. Don't want to know your thoughts. Only you know what's in your head. Even the people that know you best, you can hide it from them. So let me ask you, between you and the Lord, the Spirit knows what you're thinking. Is this where you are this morning? Or are you filled with turmoil and stress and worry and fear and anxiety and all the other things? God promises he will keep you in perfect peace. If you trust him and your mind is fixed on him. So I want to ask you this morning to go beyond just listening and go beyond writing some notes. I don't do this very often, but I feel led to do it this morning. If you are sitting there and you are in your heart saying, I am not trusting the Lord the way I can and the way I know I should. I am not trusting the Lord completely. There's still way too much of self in me, and I've got to confess that and trust the Lord. Between you and the Lord, nobody is looking. Raise your hand to the Lord and say, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. Because I'm not trusting in you that way. And then let's take the second part of the phrase. And this may be you again. My mind is not fixed on you. It's fixed on a lot of things, and I have a lot of distractions, and those are of my own doing. I spend more time looking at my cell phone than I do at God's Word. I spend more time talking on the phone than I do talking to you. And Lord, that's got to change. Because so much of my fear and worry is based on the fact that I'm not having a mind that's fixed on you. If that's you this morning, nobody's looking. Between you and the Lord, raise your hand. Ask the Lord to help you with that. I suspect that that's many of us. And you know what? Here's the promise of God. If you'll trust me and you'll get your mind fixed on me, I'll keep you in perfect peace.